0: This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. This morning's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated.
1: You know, as a preacher, normally you would say, you'll take five sleeping men over one crying baby, Um, and I had a crying baby there in front of us, but I think on this day, when most of us have been up past midnight, uh, in our family, I always call my brother that's one time zone back, and so at 108, I was calling him. Uh, But uh, this morning, we definitely would want that crying baby to be in the service just to keep us all as alert as possible, so thank you so much, and uh, you can always count on the Pent family to show up in big numbers when it's important, and uh, so we're grateful that you all are here as well. So I really love the uh, introduction that Damien gave us this morning talking about, um, uh, in a sense, you know, how we have both uh, agency and power to change. And I think most of us don't really realize that as we go through our lives. We, we, we kind of bumble around and uh, we don't really realize what the Lord has already done for us in Christ uh, to be able to be those kinds of people that can change. And uh, believe it or not, this is one of the most religious days of the year. Not in the church, but in the world, okay? Because this is the place, this is often the, the high water mark. Where people do come and they say, you know, on that day I made that resolution and it has been different ever since then. So in their own secular way, this is a tremendous religious day. But oftentimes, you know, people are putting their hope in the wrong thing. But we as believers in Christ, and I'm assuming that many of you that are here this morning have put your faith in Christ, You know, that we as believers in Christ, we have this new life, this new power, this new agency, as Damien told us, to really have effective change in our lives. I know for me personally, most of my life, I usually make some sort of resolution uh, because it's a good time, you know, a good... Uh, place in the calendar year to say this is the way that I once was living and now this is the way I'm gonna try to live and you know there are times in my life I remember I was about 19 and I said I'm gonna give up soda you know so I gave up soda one year I almost made it the whole year but I didn't quite make all of it another year I said I'm gonna give up white bread Okay, I grew up white bread poor, so we ate white bread. I really didn't like brown bread at all, but I knew that it wasn't healthy for me. So I changed that, and believe it or not, because of those two things, almost every time I go to a restaurant, I order water. I don't order soda anymore. And also, I eat brown bread over white bread. Now, why do I tell you all those things? Because as believers in Christ, too often, we still have false narratives of our lives. I personally believe too many false narratives. And if you're anything like me this morning, you believe too many false narratives too. So a narrative is some kind of retelling of something, something that happened to us or happened before us. It happened in our lives. It's a story, if you would. But the narrative is not the actual story. Rather, it's a retelling of the story, a retelling of this thing that happened. It can be a written narrative of our lives. It can be spoken. Hey, there goes our last chance to stay awake. Come on back, Mom. All right? So this narrative can be written. It can be spoken. It can even be mental. But it's not the actual story of our life. It's only the retelling of the true story. So they've done a lot of research on this. They've done a lot of research on what people remember in basic situations of our lives. And the human capacity to retell the wrong story, to get the wrong details of the story, and even draw the wrong conclusions of a story is rather astounding. Our human capacity to do this is amazing. And there's a professor, her name is Elizabeth Loftus, and at places like Georgetown, Harvard, and the University of California system, she's dedicated her life to research on false memories and on something called the misinformation effect. The misinformation effect is what happens When a person's recall of a specific episodic event becomes less accurate because of post-event information, often adding in all kinds of details that never really occurred. For example, they found that if you use different types of words to describe videos that everybody saw, of similar car crashes at various different speeds, then you can actually, by using different words to describe that, you can alter people's memories of what they actually saw. So for example, they could describe a car crash at 60 miles an hour and call it a fender bender and people would not remember the damage that took place they would not remember all the broken glass and the car pieces that fell everywhere. In the same way, they could call a crash at 10 miles an hour a horrible or a tragic event, and people would remember all kinds of damage that never really happened at all. So that's reason, personally, 552 for me, why we should have damage caps and settlement claim limits, when there's lawsuits, because oftentimes people can be persuaded to remember facts that are not facts at all, they're falses, they're untruths. So when considering on what to preach on this time, I ask God, what is my new narrative? What is, what is my new narrative? What's the real story of who I am right now in Christ I'm adopted as a child of God. I have all the righteousness of Christ himself, but those false retellings of my story, they keep getting in the way. I'm united to Christ in my union with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, but as we read about in our fall book study, that union with Christ, then what about that giant gap? What about the giant gap that I... Feel that's in my life between the promise of Scripture and what God has said is true, and then what I and sadly others around me see on a daily basis. So I suspect that some of that problem is because of these false narratives I have about who I am now in Christ. So the first time I preached here, I preached on how God uses broken. And cracked vessels to to shine forth his glory in this world. That's you and me. God uses us as broken, cracked vessels that show forth his glory. And then the second time I preached, I was given 1 Peter 4. And that's the one where God grants present grace for us in this world to overcome the world that's around us. He gives us past grace. He gives us future grace in dealing with life around us and who we really are in Christ. So today, I'm going to continue that theme with the promise of the true story, the real story of who you and I really are in Christ. This is the true story. You're no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. Though you might feel that way some days, we don't have to live there anymore That's not who we are. That's not our true identity in Christ. Because of our union with Christ, because of our being in Christ, united to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we're forever in Christ. And he's made us alive in Christ by that power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. So this is the true story. This is the true narrative in our lives, if you've put your faith in Christ. So look on your scripture sheet this morning, and uh, follow along if you would, and let's kind of see how that true story goes. So we see, first of all, that once we were dead in trespasses and sin. So we find that in verses one through three. So I want you to kind of take a look at that. Paul writes in Ephesians two, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, how you once lived, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this is humankind's big problem, okay? In our natural state, we're dead to God. We're dead to the things of God, all right? So if you would, we're like what they call dead men walking. Okay, We're spiritually dead to the things of God. So Paul tells us there's several things that we need to be aware of when he talks about this. So first of all, it's universal. It's universal. So it affects all of mankind, whether Jew or Gentile specifically, I think is what he's thinking about here. Now, I think I mentioned the last time I preached here that the Greek language of the New Testament it was sort of like the English language. It was the worldwide business language of the world in the days of the New Testament. It's called Koine Greek, but it's very different than English is. In fact, it's not written with any punctuation. So the Bible in its Greek format in the original text has no no formatting, no punctuation, no spacing. In fact, it's written in capital letters, and it's one giant run-on word, if you would, okay? Now, to me, that sounds like an English teacher's nightmare, right? So how in the world can we understand what the Bible says? Okay, this is why people say that term, it's Greek to me, all right? And I think in seminary, they give us just enough Greek and Hebrew that we become dangerous with it, all right? That we become dangerous with it. So how in the world do we know how to translate this into English? Well, here's how it works. Greek is written in such a way, Cornea Greek in particular, is written in such a way that when they construct it, the various parts of what they're writing points to what's gonna be emphasized. Everybody got that? So take a look at the first few verses of this chapter, okay? I added the emphasis in there. What do you think is the major point that Paul is trying to get across in those first three verses? I emphasize what the Greek emphasizes for us and how it's written. So what are those things? Anybody? Anybody? Take a look at it. Look at verse three. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and by nature, children of wrath. So Paul is making a big point here that everybody has this problem. This is human mankind's problem. This is our problem as humans. So he's trying to expose the fact that this is who, in our natural, normal natures, who we are. We're not really good, like humanism would tell us. We're not born good. We're not born anything but bad, really. This is what it says. And then that's another truth that we find there, okay? That this is our true nature, apart from Christ. That's the other part of what he's pointing at there. He says that this is who we were by nature, okay? It's our, it's our natural who we are, okay? So it's not like we're a blank slate, okay, that, that is given, okay? We're born and we're a blank slate and then you have uh, the experiences of life, okay? The experiences of my genes, that that determines fully who I am. This is not what the scripture says, The scripture says, yes, that may be true, but we're really born against God, by nature, children of wrath, okay? And in fact, Paul even says that it's imprisonment to Satan. All right, look at that again. He says in verse two, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of the one that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Ouch. So I don't think most people really think of their life being imprisoned to Satan apart from Christ and his work in our lives. But this is what it says. So what does that mean for us as believers? Well, for us as believers... This means that if you're going to exist as a Christian in this world, to some degree, you have to be a rebel. You have to be bucking the system of this world. Now, I have a government job, okay? You don't do a lot of bucking in a giant system that moves slowly and changes slowly over time. But how do, we, how do I find ways then to re- rebel, if you would, to be a rebel? In that setting, well, I say to myself, I will be the most generous with my time. So when they say something like, well, we really need somebody to fill in on this shift, I'm always the first one that says, okay, I'll do that. Or when my boss or one of my coworkers instant messages me and they say, hey, Scott, dot, 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 and man, I know what's coming, all right? They're gonna ask me to do something that I don't know if I have the bandwidth to do. So thank God that instant messaging isn't as instant as it could be because they don't know my thoughts because my first thought is always like, okay, Lord, just help me to be ready to do anything, right? So to that, I always instant message them back, hey, good to hear from you. How can I help? And sometimes I'm like, oh, I hope they don't have anything for me to do. So those are ways that we have to be rebelling against the system of this world in small ways. Now, in your situation, you know, that can be something different, all right? But there are these false narratives of how life is supposed to be, all right? And we have to be subversive in this culture. I was talking to my wife, Christine, about this this week. So what are ways that we can be subversive in our culture? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a subversive act that we can do. We can forgive a coworker for what they've done to us. You see this? Living against the grain of this world. And who was the official, the first rogue one? It was Christ, okay? He's the one, all right, that ultimately bucked the whole system for all of us. So if you're a child of God today, really, this is where our hope has to lie. Now look at this in, verse, uh, in, in uh, th- these passages there at the beginning. It says, apart from the life-giving work of God, we're utterly powerless against this. Do you see that there? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, okay, in, in how you once lived. So how does a dead person come to Christ They can't, okay? Which way does a dead person swim? They don't. They just go with the flow. They go with the flow of this life. So it has to be God that comes along and does something in us so that we can be made alive. It's not that we were mostly dead in like the princess bride, all right? It's not that we were partially dead, but we were utterly and completely dead apart from Christ. And all of us were this way. And then finally, Paul tells us there that since this is who we are in our nature, apart from Christ, it really naturally, causally, invites the wrath of God in our lives. It says, and you were by nature children of wrath, Okay, this is how we were born. This is how we lived apart from Christ. So this is the first part of a new year. So what do we do? All right, let's think about resolutions. This is a great time to kind of think about what are, what are, what are our lives like? Where are, where are our loves placed? What are the things that we love so much in this world? that we just love to go with that flow ourselves. Do you love comfort more than Christ? Do you love control more than Christ? All right, would you rather be sleeping in? Okay, I see that some were today. All right, but not many. I'm kind of surprised. I really thought there would be like 12 people here. So the pence brought twice as many as that themselves. So, you know, but maybe that comfort for you means avoiding people. Avoiding people. Maybe that control means not, not allowing other people to have a say. All right? Do you binge watch? Okay? Do we do that? Do we do that and then not have time to, like, go to small group or read our Bibles So this is a time to really reevaluate because we have been given this new life in Christ. So Paul paints this really bleak picture here. In fact, all those verses there at the beginning, they're all just pointing to like this is everyone's problem and it invites all of the wrath of God upon us. So because of that, he's focusing on that, but he's painting this bleak, dark picture for us So that we can see how beautiful it is with the light of the gospel. So if you take a look there, uh, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should walk in this new newness of life. So looking at that and the way that we've kind of highlighted it for you this morning, what are some things that Paul's emphasizing in the second part of it? He's taking the first part and it's bleak, it's dark, it's black. But in the second part, he's showing the riches of God's grace. So our salvation, it's all about his mercy, as you see there. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, for it's by grace that you've been saved. Why? So that in the coming ages, it might show off his immeasurable riches towards us. The immeasurable riches of his grace, his free gift to us. And then to walk out in our new lives, no longer as zombies, like dead men walking, in this world, but living out good works. And whatever those good works mean in your context, in your home, in your family, in your extended family, in your job, in your neighborhood. You know, over the years, I've had some really lousy neighbors. Okay? And then one day I started thinking, was, really, have I had these really lousy neighbors, or have I been the lousy neighbor? So, we had someone move in a couple years ago in the house behind us, and I said, you know, I'm gonna get to know this guy. And we now emailed, we, we actually texted each other last night and wished each other a happy new year, okay? Now, I believe that's God working in me as an expression of what he's been doing in my life, that because of his mercy, we who were once were dead in trespasses and sins by grace have now been saved. For what? To work out, to live out, to walk out this newness of life that he's called us into. So that's a lot of stuff that Paul is emphasizing in that second part there, okay? He's really excited. He's trying to get it all out for us. But Paul is really using the pattern of Deuteronomy 7, and this is what it says. It says that the Lord did not set his affection on you to choose you because you were more numerous or more powerful or more suited or more special or more whatever. It's because the Lord loved you and he kept an oath. He kept a promise that he had made a long time ago before the foundations of the world. So he rescued us. The Lord rescued us. So like Christ, we once were dead we have been made alive by the same power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Look at verse six. It says, he raised us up like Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. Now, you may not feel that way. That may not be how you live out your life on a weekly basis, but it's the true story it's really who we are in Christ. Like Christ, we were dead. Like Christ, we have been raised. And like Christ, we're now seated in the heavenly realms right now. So you're seated here in church today, but you're also seated in heaven right now. We're reigning with Christ in heaven. This is the promise. Of the scripture. And in fact, this is first ever language in the life of the church that shows up in this passage. That we are now saved, that we have been saved. Okay, because Paul, in his earlier works, okay, like in Romans 5, in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, and 2 Corinthians 2, Paul is always talking about our salvation as a future event. He's talking about our salvation as a present process, something that's taking place, okay? Something that needs to be completed when Christ comes. But now, in this passage, for the first time, Paul is telling us some brand new vocabulary for the church and for our lives. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He's telling us that we're saved already. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a completed action with a present process that is still at work in it, okay? It has a present effect, but it's something that's already been completed for us. We are now alive. We are now raised with Christ, and somehow we're seated with him and reigning in heaven as well. This is the true story. This is the true story for us. So, this is kind of what we studied in the, that book study this fall that we are alive in Christ, and somehow we're decreasing that gap by the power and agency of the Holy Spirit at work in us. It's more than a promise that He's given us, it's really a reality. This is the true story. So it's not like, you know, we'll, we'll live life and then we'll get to heaven and we'll say, man, I, I, I made it. Yeah, we did make it, but we already made it now if you've put your faith in Christ. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, then why not today? Let it be today. Is that place, that watershed event where you say, this is the day that I put my faith in Christ in a way that I never have. So this is what the great reformers called the already but not yet. These things have already happened. We're raised with Christ. We're reigning with Christ right now. And we may not fully feel that, but the Holy Spirit is working in us with that power and that agency that Damien was talking about so that we can live this out. So, what about the gap and the false narratives? What are some of the false narratives in your life? What are some of those false retellings of your story that simply aren't true? That simply don't reflect that you have been saved. You are saved right now and you're able to walk in newness of life. For me, I have several false narratives. I once heard two people, two people I didn't even really know very well and they were having a a fight of some sort, okay? And the one person called the other person a POS. Now, I had never heard that term before I never knew what it was. You can Google it if you want. But that person called them that and then they used the whole phrase. And somehow, I adopted that as a narrative in my life. So that when I really screw something up and especially if I screw it up for other people and I hurt them, that that's the first narrative of who I think I am something that was never even said to me, okay? But it became part of my story, a false narrative. Not the true story, not the real story, but a false story in that retelling of my life. So what false narrative do you have that could be defeated by this passage? Because if you've put your hope in Christ, even as small as a mustard seed, the Bible says, then he is at work in you. He's made you alive in Christ. He's saved you. You no longer need to believe that you're nothing, okay? That you're a nobody, that nobody wants you. Nobody desires you because you've been made alive in Christ. Now, some of us think, too low of ourselves and others of us think too high of ourselves and I think most of us we're kind of living in both of those places all the time but those things aren't our true story our true story is what the scripture has given us to live this is the true story that God wants us to know that we're made alive in Christ that we're raised with Christ and we're even reigning right now with Christ so How do we live out the rest of 2017? Well, we begin to live out our lives understanding that he's given us one thing to do, to trust in Christ, and then to begin to live out the things that he's already planned for us to do. It says there at the end, you know, that we're going to walk out, you know, in this world, the works that he's already prepared for us to do. So as you walk out, as you work out, your salvation in Christ, remember that it's already happened. It's already a done deal. We have been saved already. This is the first time in scripture where this comes to light in the life of the church. Paul wants us, the Holy Spirit wants us to know that we have been saved. We have been raised with Christ. We have been set apart for him and for this world to be different. So in this new year, you're a new you. So begin to live that way through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? It's a lot like a tree. You know, what do you need to do with a tree for it to produce fruit? It needs a couple things, right? It needs sunshine, it needs soil, it needs some fertilizer. But does a does tree sit there and say, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna produce fruit? No, it just happens. Because God has designed it that way. It begins to produce fruit. And that's the way it is in our lives as well. God, if you've put your faith in Christ, God has made you alive in him. He's planted you in good soil, all right? And he'll begin to work those good works out in you so that you bear the fruit that we all need to. Let's pray. So holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal Son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one as us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and we worship you Father, forgive us for worshiping ourselves throughout the year. Lord Jesus, for it's you who stretched out your arms upon the cross. It's you who offered yourself in obedience to the will of the Father, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world, a perfect sacrifice for us, that we might walk in newness of life. Father, would you help us to live that this year? Would you help us to begin to live like that? so that we reflect you in all the things that we do. Father, would you begin to work that way in us, in those that we're closest to, in our own families, in our own blood? Father, would you work that way in our neighborhoods? Would you work that way as a body of Christians in your church? I pray that all of us would understand that if we've been found in Christ, that if you've you've put your affections upon us, Father, that we are new creatures in Christ. Would you help us to bear a lot of fruit this year, Lord? Would you do this for your namesake and for your glory? And all God's people said,